Greetings, cyberspace, and welcome to episode 257 of the Double Density Podcast with your host, Brian and Angelo. Double Density is your home to tech tales and paranormal primers. Now, first things first, Angelo. Uh, more so like first things first, listeners, I apologize. I'm a little under the weather. I've been under the weather for most of this week. Um, so I've had to like kind of navigate the world in different ways because I'm not optimal, but I figured it can make for some potentially good content. I think you have the same cold I had a few weeks ago that seems to last a little longer than yeah. previous colds. It's like, it's like uh, I'd say, in between a, a cold and COVID. Uh, I wouldn't go that far. It's more annoying than anything else in my case. And uh, I tested a couple times and I'm negative and that's okay. I don't have the body aches. Yeah. yeah, yeah. The only body aches I have are like um, in my chest because I keep holding in the sneeze. And so my rib cage is getting very strong. Let the sneeze free. If we're on the show and you sneeze, I'll be able to edit that out for you. Yeah, we'll see. Happy, uh, happy Sunday, Angelo. I think I say happy new year. Oh no, that was going to be next. Happy new year, Angelo. Happy new year, Brian. And with the new year comes some new news. So this uh, piece of information showed up in my inbox this week, and I laughed at it, then forwarded it to you. Let's talk about um, accessibility in podcasts, right? Let's talk about Apple adding transcripts to Apple Podcasts um, uh, when people update to iOS 17.4. Do you even use the Apple Podcasts app for your podcast listening? No, like you, I use the Overcast app, but I know a lot of people who use Apple Podcasts, and that's that's fine. But now there's going to be this added layer of accessibility there with transcripts, which got me thinking of a whole bunch of like different kinds of ways, right? Like fundamentally good news, but also strangely, like maybe a little bit more work for us if we wanted to quote unquote correct the record, right? Yeah, because it's going to be AI generated. There's no effort required on our part for it to just work. And no. people will be able to press, I think, a little quote button on the Apple Podcasts app. I remember when the Apple Podcasts app came out. So I've been listening Everyone to Everyone pod- sit down. Old man is yeah, about to well, tell Yeah, here we go. I'm, uh, I'm going to lie back in my rocking chair and talk about the olden Please days. Please don't fall over, though, because I, I, can't, I can't rescue you remotely. Podcasts originally, I used to download into the into iTunes and then sync it to my Same. iPod. Same. And I would do this every night. There'd be new podcasts. I would sync them. I think somewhere around when I had my iPhone 4 is when the podcast app came out. And it was so skeuomorphic that it had like it was a little reel-to-reel tape image <laughs> yeah. on the thing. And it had a turtle for like slowing it down and a hair to make it go faster. Uh, after that, I, I I switched to a, a podcast app called Downcast, which was nice because I didn't have to sync the podcasts anymore. I just would download them directly to the, the phone. Yeah. And then when Mark Armit came out with Overcast, I downloaded that right away and really enjoyed it. I used to move old Coast to Coast episodes onto my iPod and uh, play those. Uh, also, the uh, I think I've talked about this before, but the only audio books I've ever listened to, there's two of them. Okay. One of them is, well, technically there are two. So I read, I, I listened to the two William Shatner autobiographies. And was it read by him? Yes. That must have been great. And then the second one is a book called Fight Everything You Wanted, Ever Wanted to Know About Ass Kicking, But We're Afraid You Get Your Ass. Your, oh boy, okay. Let me retake that, Angelo, and don't cut this one out. Fight Everything You Ever Wanted to Know About Ass Kicking, But We're Afraid You Get Your Ass Kicked for Asking by Eugene S. Robinson. I'll keep that as per your wishes. <laughs> keep keep both yeah please keep both um so those are the two uh at the time that i uh used to i listened to once once each right also a uh, quick shout out to oxbow which was um is i guess eugene robinson's uh, uh band but they're they've been inactive for a while now it's not music that you would like probably it's very challenging metal 
no, thank you. A little bit of everything. So now this is like uh, books in reverse, right? Like audiobooks in reverse. So podcasts now are being – you can read them if you wish. Right. So the funny thing about that though is when you really consider how fast it is to scan something versus listen to something. And I'm even talking to the people who 3X their podcasts. I know there's some of you out there. But yeah, I'm, uh, I, I find it kind of interesting that like you could consume a podcast in like 20 minutes versus uh, the hour it would take to otherwise listen to it. Yeah, because there's no pausing, uh, no no bumpers, no meandering, I guess. You well, there would be bumpers. Oh, I guess it would transcribe like that, right? Like, I wonder yeah. how it'll transcribe our bumpers. That must be weird. So that's my question. That's another question is like, how are they going to handle ad reads, right? That's going to be fun to read. And also I was talking to Ellie from uh, the Devil's Nurse Star, and we were just talking about SEO implications, which is something that I've been thinking about too. It's just like, if these transcripts are to live somewhere on the web in some kind of form, what does that look like? How does that work for SEO? Um, you know, all those things that are kind of like swimming in the back of my head as I think about uh, our podcast as pure content. Where are these transcripts going to be stored though? So is it basically just in the app? So if you've downloaded the podcast, it'll have the transcription there. And then once you delete that podcast, it just disappears. I'm very curious about that because uh, uh, Apple is very vague in its email. So Apple obviously, vague? I know uh, he just rolled your eyes. Also, Angela refuses to buy the Apple car. So, uh, you know, that's another uh, a bit of news there. Yeah, not going to happen. Apple Car 2028, I think. Hold on my while my car reboots at this red light. <laughs> yeah. I, oh, right. So this is a, a piece from Bloomberg. I'm just going to drop in as an aside. So if you didn't know that Apple was working on a car, they are. Apple Car EV uh, 2028, delayed to 2028. I mean, so and this is all know. speculation, right? Because Apple hasn't come out and said this. Well. No, they really haven't. Do you not think that they're working on a car right now? Oh, they are. This has been something for okay. So, ages, like, what's the problem? Like, but they haven't officially said they're working on it. Just like they, people knew they were working on an AR headset for ages. Apple doesn't report on rumored products, right? No. But what I'm saying is that other sources that I would trust credibly have said yeah, that there is an Project Apple Titan. Car Project Titan. That's what it's called. What a name. What a name. Yeah. Uh, did Remember you ever the Project Titan? I was going to say, you ever watch Attack on Titan? The anime? No, but what about Titan yeah. AE? Oh, you're you're throwing it back there. Yeah, with the the amazing the, the one great use of a Creed song. <laughs> uh, I'm trying to think about that. Yeah, I guess so. There's that Scott Stapp when he sang for the Marlins. I think. Do you remember that or this no. or the the Tampa Bay? Okay, hold on. Or Tampa Bay. I was gonna say Tampa Bay. Uh, Scott Stapp. Uh, hold on. Scott Stapp baseball song. Oh, yeah, Marlins Will Soar by Scott Stapp. If ever you want to go listen to him um, uh, alter lyrics in order to make a song about his beloved Marlins, uh, you can go ahead to the show notes and check that out. Anyways, back to talking about SEO. It's a good question because all we know right now is that it's going to be on the app, obviously, and I don't know where else um, it will live, right? Because you can listen to podcasts on iTunes or music, sorry, Apple Music, I should say. Can you do um, that, though? Does it still work? On the app? Yeah. Okay, I thought music was music and podcasts were podcasts. I don't think I didn't think you could find podcasts in the music app. I've never seen them. Uh, I think you may be wrong about that, Brian. I'm double checking right now. I think I might be wrong. Yeah, because I use Apple no, Music all the time, and it just has music. There's no podcasts. Yeah, okay, no, it. I don't. Yeah, they, I they, only use they Apple music them a while. I only use uh, Apple Music to sync up um, stuff that's not on on streaming with my with my phone. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, so like it's kind of interesting, right? So you know, we're just talking about ad reads bumpers, things like that. Like, how are those going to look like aesthetically? Um, where else is, are these transcripts going to live aside from the podcast themselves? So that means if you delete the podcast, I'm just saying like us as podcast creators, if we delete the podcast, the transcripts are automatically gone, right? So, and I know that other podcasting apps 
like third party apps have been doing this for a while uh, with varying degrees of success. But as someone who also uses Descript a lot in order um, professionally, it's kind of interesting because um, I, I'd say the translations are like ninety percent there. It's not hundred percent. What is Descript? So Descript basically is uh, you throw a piece of media in there, either a you know an audio file or a video file, and it starts to to give you a transcription that you can then edit. Okay, I've never used it, so it's not something I would use day to day. Obviously, no. But it is it is very handy as like a good gets you eighty percent of the way there, and then you have to fine tune everything, right? So I, I'm wondering like the first couple of weeks whether you and I will have to sit there. Also, we don't know what platform or what background or what app or what you know processes they're using to create these transcripts either. Like no one knows it's a black box as per usual with Apple. I will be curious to see what it comes up with because I'm sure there'll be mistakes in transcribing. I remember many years ago when YouTube's closed captioning was in its infancy. You and I watched a university recruitment video <laughs> and the closed captions were one of the funniest things I'd ever Terrible. seen. Terrible. Yeah. And it was no through no fault of of our own. It was just the way YouTube... Well, also, like, YouTube didn't let you edit uh, closed captions for a while either at the beginning of uh, the product's life cycle. Yeah. Yeah. That, but it was just one of the funniest things I've ever seen. Oh, yeah. 100%. Just watching to see where we're taking. Like, it reminds me of those old, like, um, songs taken literally thing. Do you know what I'm talking about? That was, like, a, a meme in, like, 2003 to 2005. Like, people would make, like flash files of what they thought they heard no not at all i don't know yeah, okay here i'm gonna there was a uh an in, like the the metalcore band trivium okay had a song called pull harder on your uh pull harder on the strings of your murder and i'm trying to see if i could find uh where it is because at one point it sounded like he was screaming boat rudder and so they made multiple videos about that being a thing all right well if you find it dump it in the show notes and, and i will if it's, it, and- feel, it feels like they were all Copy written, deleted. Uh, it's unfortunate, but if we find it, you'll see it in the podcast app you probably use because our show notes should appear there. Oh, there it's we go. A good I found it. app. It's from seventeen years ago. Seventeen years ago. Here, I'm just going to drop in the show notes, Angelo. So I'll tell you the just for you and me to go listen to. All right, so we'll leave that in the show notes for uh, people to peruse at their leisure. Yeah, and let me know if anyone else remembers any of these like misheard lyrics and literal interpretations of the lyrics. I'd love to hear from people in order to understand if I was all alone in this or if I was just part of the um, larger group of people out there who really, really enjoy these. Like the the old Shreds videos, right, where um, they used to edit videos um, based on, on like what you could see at any given point, right? So, for example, like one of the more famous ones is Santana Shreds. So anytime you saw Santana, he's playing like a really off-key, like really – unfortunate and then like they give a shot of santana and the drummer so all you'd hear is the drummer and santana even though like in the live recording was the full band like it was just redone inside of like a really crappy studio do you know what i'm talking about no no i've never so i think like this this was a period in our lives where we were looking at very different things okay well i'm gonna just drop a santana shreds in the show notes and angelo i'll take a look at it i want you to go watch it it's gonna make you cringe my friend so just imagine a world in which these transcripts transcend podcasts right if we removed the podcast from the internet, but still the transcripts remain and unchanged transcripts remain in this digital wasteland. Uh, hundreds of years from now, someone would look one of us up for whatever reason and discover that we were talking about not the things that we were, thought we were talking about, but the transcript would say otherwise. Kind of a weird kind of like a, a way of interpreting uh, historical texts. We would be able to write a book with each chapter being an episode of the show. A book that no one would read. Never. If if you had to pitch a book to me based on the podcast, what would that look like? The cover would have a UFO using a tractor beam on a diskette. <laughs> no, but I'm talking about the content of the book, Angela, because I have an idea and I'm very curious. Okay, well, I have no idea, so I will I will put this over to you. 
your most hated thing on earth, Angelo? Uh, it would be a travelogue book. Oh God. Yeah. yeah no, thank yeah, you. Yeah. 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 We'd go look at the ley lines. We'd go look at area 51. Like we would just, I'd, I'd force you on a worldwide trip. Great. I can't wait. From which we never survive. Yeah. I love traveling. Speaking about things that uh, never survive, well, Angel, let us head over to the paranormal side of things where I'm going to pick your brain, literally. Breaking news. How Area 51 is actually a top-secret military base where they conduct some sci-fi type. The military base is just to cover people, and it's all underground, so you can't see it. The government already has access to real-life lightsabers. Double density. Welcome back to Double Density. As always, we're switching gears from tech to the paranormal. So, Angela, I want you to talk to me about um, something that you came across, then I'll talk about something I came across and how this is merged into one single topic. So tell me what you've been watching recently. I can't remember if we talked about this on the show, but uh, there's a... We have. Uh, yeah, we have, right? So there's a, an old manor near my house that uh, the people that owned it sold it off to the town, and now the town is allowing people to film things there, and the Canadian series of The Traders was filmed there. So I had no idea this was a thing. Ended up watching the, uh, the Canadian one, and then watching the American one, and then watching the British one, and then watching the Australian one, and then watching the New Zealand one. And uh, can you tell I like this show? It's really fun. It's a great game. I like I like good reality TV. Okay, like so what is what is the what is the the conceit of the traders? You have a group of anywhere from twenty to twenty four people, depending on which season and which country you're watching. I think actually New Zealand had a little less, but you have a group of people. Anywhere from two to four of them are chosen to be the so-called traitors that will murder somebody every night. And throughout the course of the day, you do missions to get money to put into a pot, which eventually will either be shared by the other team, the faithfuls. So, or if there's one or two traitors left, no matter how many faithfuls there are at the end, the traitors take the entire pot. At the end, though, it ends when there's four people. And those four people decide when to fully end the game when they feel satisfied that there's either two faithfuls left without traitors or if the traitor's happy, the traitor could be alone with two other people and the traitor will always win the pot. Uh, a couple of questions here. How did the traitors get decided? I guess the production team interviews them all and decides who would be a good traitor because the host of the show picks them at the beginning. There's a round table and they are all blindfolded and the host of the show in the case of the American series, it's Alan Cumming, who's amazing as this really campy Scottish <laughs> owner of a castle. It is it is does take place in Scotland, the UK and American version. So it, it makes me think of Fall Boy Out, an entirely different game. That's oh what I was yeah, very of. different. But yeah, it's, I was just thinking of castles, right? Yeah, and, and, yeah. It's a yeah. little. It, it's not the challenges actually are not too far off from that. But there's challenges. They earn money, and yes, the host picks two or three. Uh, I like the American one, too, because there's people from Survivor on there that made it really fun. And Bog Brother. Yeah, Bog Brother. That was a typo for me. That was a great typo you sent me over the other day. Bog Brother. I loved it. Fun show. But the thing that makes me, talk, makes me want to talk about it in the paranormal is on several of the seasons, there has been a clairvoyant psychic medium contestant. 
and we don't know how those get picked either, right? Yeah, we don't know. Like, it's, I guess it's just like any other reality show. The British one has just regular people. The American one is a mix of regular and reality show contestants. Canadian one as well, as well as some uh, more known people. For example, we had a, one of our old VJs from Much Music on the Canadian one. The New Zealand one, they could all have just been regular people, but some of them were New Zealand celebrities, of which I know very little. Right. Uh, Australia as well. The The first season had, quote-unquote, regular people, and then the second season had reality show contestants with regular people as well. And yeah, there's uh, there's been a few clairvoyants. Yeah, so walk me through how they've done, what the process is, how they've announced themselves during Talking Heads. I mean, so I haven't watched the show at all, right? so I'm kind of curious, like how this how this unrolls. Now, there's there's spoilers here, so if you don't really want to hear this, I mean, you can kind of skip over ahead. But I'm really not going to spoil too much. Uh, in terms of the one that did the best, the Canadian one did the best, and I felt like the Canadian one, uh, quote unquote, used their powers the least, or I really didn't talk about it as much. Whereas the Australian one was really all in with her powers. And uh, at one of the first round tables, she came out and said, this person's a traitor, this person's a traitor, this person is, is a traitor, and this person is a traitor. And she got 50% right. <laughs> so she Still nailed two of though. them. Not 100, though. And um, she stormed out of the room when they, they banished the wrong person. And uh, she left the show. So she left of her own accord. Yeah, she left it on record. She and I later on read an article about this, and she felt like she, uh, she wasn't being respected for her powers, and they were being made fun of. And uh, the other one, I believe, was on the. I can't remember. I think it was on the UK one, and uh, yeah, she didn't do very well either. So what you're saying is that these people are not in it to win it. But do you? Okay, so two questions then. In that case, firstly, do you think these people were brought on? and paid anyways in order to perform these acts and not necessarily to win it? I think it's just, no, no, I think it's just like they're they're there. That's their quote-unquote job. Uh, the British one, though, was charming, but she was, I, now I'm remembering, but she also didn't get anything right. And what's funny is there's the inevitable joke of when they get murdered or banished or whatever, the other, there's always like the dad joke guy that says, I bet she didn't see that coming. Well, it's true, right? So I'm kind of curious, like, how do how do contestants get, quote-unquote, murdered on the show? Every night, the traitors meet in Traitor Tower, or whatever their conclave is called, depending on the show. And they run through a few contestants that they feel will be detrimental to their game. So, for example, the ones that are having a lot of suspicion put upon them that are not traitors, they will keep in the game. And the ones that are seem kind of on the ball and are observant and are kind of figuring things out, they will murder them. I see. And what does the act of murdering do? Like, how, do, how does that work physically, right? Like, are these people ensconced in a room at night and locked in? Like, how does, how, how, does, how does this work? All the contestants have their lodgings. For example, in the Canadian one, they actually stayed on site because it was also a hotel. The British one and American one, they kind of get shipped off to a little hotel nearby because they're not allowed staying in that castle. Uh, the traitors actually come back and then meet, and the person who was murdered is delivered a letter letting them know that they've been murdered. There's also the opportunity for the traitors to recruit people if they are down in numbers when they get banished. And um, yeah, it's it's a really fun game. I actually think you'd like it, even though I know you're not a big fan of reality TV. I'd urge you to watch the British one because it is, I feel like, the most fun because it's the most regular people in that. Angela, I'd love to watch TV, but I'm too busy watching Unsolved Mysteries. 
Okay, but it is on Crave, so you do have access to it. I do. So the same time this week that you were watching The Traders, uh, I actually watched an episode of Unsolved Mysteries that was very interesting because it, I think it was a season seven episode where they brought in a woman, a psychic detective named Noreen Rainier. And basically, like, they did a live with her where um, they brought her to the West Coast because usually she only does things by phone as a psychic detective, which I found very interesting, right? Does she know who phone is? <laughs> the, I don't the, know. The longest running callback on who is phone yeah exactly from like episode one or two right yes um but yeah so basically what happens is that she gets calls like noreen gets calls from different police stations and keep in mind this is this is in the 90s right so like the internet wasn't really um a a publicly consumable um platform to use for information right faxes Uh, were still a thing yeah what's interesting with her is that she also asks um police stations or detectives when they can to send over objects that she can touch in order to like relive what happens four to six and, weeks for delivery. Yeah, exactly. Right. So you have to wait four to six weeks for, uh, for that phone call. So the, uh, the unsolved mysteries crew brings her out to the West coast because a woman has been murdered and they're trying to figure out who it is. Okay. Like on the traders. Yeah, Except exactly. In real so they, life. Have, they have shots of like her in the warehouse and the detective, I think it was San Francisco. I want to say it's either San Francisco or LAPD. I can't remember. But it's California somewhere. And in there, she basically like touches a bunch of like the woman's clothing to try and figure out what's going on. She uh, starts. So it's like really bad reenactments where like you see like the gun in the face. So basically um, Noreen says that anything she touches, if she's facing the murderer, she can give a description of the murder and if not that she can at least give the sensations around going on as if she's inhabiting that person in those moments and so the detective was amazed because uh there's a couple of things that they hadn't brought up publicly or talked about with her at all that she was able to to sort of talk about including like a really bad um injury that she sustained on like the side of her neck that was ultimately like her cause of death for example like they never talked about that publicly and she was able to say like oh my neck hurts my neck hurts um so then she starts describing who she thinks is the murderer and the murderer um, uh, has like gang tattoos on his neck. Okay. And then of course the update music hits at the end of the segment. It was a former employee. It was not a gang member. So is, uh, was Noreen racist in any way? <laughs> no, no. Sounds like no. she's racially pl- profiling over there. Oh, I mean, it was an Asian woman, right? So. Okay. All right. Uh, so, so, so I think was like maybe a, there was a Yakuza gang hit. Yeah, or something uh, like a protection money, uh, you know, situation gone wrong or something. And I found that really interesting. I want to talk about psychic detectives really quickly because uh, obviously use and, uh, use of psychic detectives in law enforcement is not necessarily encouraged but is tolerated. So I found that, uh, on the CIA website, hello CIA, a uh, memorandum sent out by the California Department of Justice's Organized Crime and Criminal Intelligence Branch from 1996, if I understand the nomenclature of the file name properly. And it's entitled Use of Psychics in Law Enforcement. So they're, uh, they give like two uh, very interesting uh, cases where you should bring in a psychic or a psychic is suggested. One of them is the investigator might develop a theory about the case and ignore important clues that could be highlighted by a psychic. The second time is in cases with a large number of suspects, the psychic could help the investigator concentrate on more likely suspects early in the investigation. The thing with psychics, right? And I'm going to go back to the traders. This was in New Zealand. One of the contestants was a professional poker player. And he was kind of weary of the the psychic because he was one of the traders. And he's like, I know she's not psychic, but psychics and mediums they either, even though they're, they're, they may be fooling themselves in the thing they're psychic, but they actually have a high sense of perception of, mm-hmm. of kind of gathering clues and, and things like that from people. 
uh, which which helps him as a poker player, and she's interpreting that as being a psychic. So he was kind of nervous about her, yeah. and I'm pretty sure. The thing is, they've all melded together, right? These seasons. So what I'm I've saying maybe them, is that she should have become a poker player herself. Then maybe, but they murdered her. I think, uh, if I'm not mistaken. Again, though, the problem with the traders for me right now is all these seasons have melded together in my head. Watch them so quickly. Yeah, the only ones that I can kind of separate are the American ones because a lot of them are oh, the reality show. Yeah, yeah, they're mostly famous people, right? So, and the Canadian one was easy, kind of. But uh, yeah, the all the other contestants kind of like just form like a giant miasma of traitors contestants in my head so before i forget the opening page ish sets the tone for um the use of psychics and explain that um the uh department the california department of justice subset uh made contact with 11 different police stations and organizations that had used reportedly used psychics with some success which i found interesting i mean sometimes there's like a just a, a chance right like there if you you know, so, uh, what is it? Uh, a stop clock is right twice a day? A broken, yeah. Broken clock, yeah. And stop you, clock won't do anything. Well, a stop clock will also be right twice a day. It's stopped. Yeah, I guess, but I meant more like a broken clock. Yeah, I guess. <laughs> I mean, Listen, uh, if man, a clock I'm is broken... With, I'm and filled the, with medication. Yes, like, but if a clock is broken by having the hands ripped off, it's never right. Yeah. Um, so how psychics work, Angelo? Each psychic has uh, her own particular method. Interesting that they use the word her, um, as if there's no male psychics who help police officers. Well, I will say none of the psychics on the traders of the five or six seasons I've watched have been male. I would love to know what the male slash female breakdown of uh, self-reported psychics is. That's a really good question, actually, Yeah, that maybe we could expand upon one day. All right, so the following situations are uh, things that you might encounter with a psychic. Ready? Um, initial contact will probably be made by phone. Makes sense. Yeah. Uh, the psychic will ask for some information about the case. You need not go into great detail. If the psychic asks for feedback to determine if she's picking up relevant impressions, a simple response is best, right? Because you don't want to taint the potential answer pool. Definitely not. In some cases, the investigator and psychic will never meet personally. All conversations will be conducted by telephone. In other cases, the psychic may wish to visit the crime scene or drive around the crime area. Yeah, to get some clues and some feelings, perhaps. Some vibes, right? A psychic might ask to see a picture of the victim or touch an article of the victim's clothes. The investigator must be careful to protect any item that might be introduced as evidence in court. The talent of the psychics vary. Some will provide exact names and locations. More often, the information will be general nature. Here are two examples. So this is a description of a suspect. I see a blonde-headed man, a, a singer, I believe. He is associated with a, a nightclub in this area, which I, I think was burglarized in the past I want to say like three months. Description Ready. of location. Ready, Angelo? Yeah. There is a lot of tall grass near the body. It is in a field with cattle nearby. Off to my right is a building with the initials PS painted on the wall. Is this psychic a nerd? Yes. Okay. I did nerd psychic. Yeah, nerd psychic. Okay. Yeah. And then obviously they go into the notion that some psychics are extremely exact. Others uh, leave uh, a little more room for interpretation, right? Even talented psychics, the report says, cannot be accurate 100% of the time. Not all the information provided by a psychic may be pertinent to your case. The key is to good results is careful selection. So um, based upon the survey, this is the conclusion. It would appear that a talented psychic, and we'll talk about talent in a minute, can assist you 
by helping to, quote, one, locate a geographic area of a missing person, two, narrow the number of leads to be concentrated on, three, highlight information that has been overlooked, or four, provide information previously unknown to the investigator, right? So psychic detectives in general, um, I don't know if I've described them as talented. You and I have uh, talked about, uh, you know, Sylvia Brown, for example, right? He's probably the most famous psychic detective we can name. Yeah, and also terrible. Well, what I'm saying is that, like, our hit-to-miss ratio is quite wide. Yeah. So I, it's the word talented is very interesting to me, right? Because how do you define talent? Uh, and I guess, like, you, you, can, you can quantify and qualify that, right? Like, how many pieces of information did they get and how close did they get to helping you close a case, right? Yeah. So in the, in the report, for example, they were talking about how one of them um, uh, was able to lead investigators to a specific piece of land where a body lay. I mean, that's kind of impressive. And how did they come to that conclusion, right? Like, did they, was it by chance? Was it, they're actually innately a good detective and nothing to do with psychic powers? Or they have psychic powers? I like the idea. So I don't know if you know this in the business world, but there's the idea of the the fractional, um, like, leader, right? So a fractional CMO, fractional VP of marketing, fractional whatever, right? So you don't necessarily in your organization need a full-time you know, a uh, chief marketing officer or a VP of something, but like you can hire someone to come in for like 10 hours a week. Right. What if, what if they just did that? Right. Like they, they didn't call them psychics. They call them like intuitive people, intuitive detectives who help with cases. Uh, I think it'd be a, a more of an accurate thing based on the discussion we just had, where you're saying that like um, perception, like these people are very perceptive in general. Right. So maybe there is a reading of the evidence that is taken one way by an investigator, but actually needs to be taken another way. And that's why a, highly perceptive person could come in and do the work. Definitely. I don't see that being incorrect at all. Do you want to talk about testing psychics and what that looks like? Well, the you sent me an article from the Smithsonian where they tested a couple of psychics using... Uh, I mean, they, they did good science here, and the psychics were right one out of six times, I believe, which is not great, and... Uh, do you know what the psychic said about the test, Brian? <laughs> Hit me with it. They were not happy with the test. They felt it was unfair. Strange how that works, right? Same thing with Yuri Geller, right? And his uh, whole he's, thing. Yeah, he doesn't feel it that day, right? When like he's on Johnny Carson, and Johnny Carson, yeah. uh, who is a magician uh, in his own right, sees what's happening here and switches the guy's spoons, and he's not feeling it that day. The powers are not speaking to him. It kind of reminds me when we talk about possible versus probable, right? Because a lot of the time there is the possibility of answers that a psychic can provide, but whether or not those are the probable answers one is seeking is left up to debate. And of course, like we can't speak to those things conceptually because obviously there are so many variables in every single situation that we can't empirically say it is a probability, not a possibility. But I feel like psychics operate in the realm of possibility, not probability, not probability more often than not. I always think back to seeing Banachek who's a uh, mentalist magician. He was the guy that uh, James Randi hired to fool the, uh, the tests at uh, Stanford, I believe. Yep. And, um, but he was on that, remember that show, Joe Rogan questions everything. Yeah. Yeah. So he was on that. It was a Netflix series, right? Uh, no, I think it was on, I was, I don't remember where I watched it. I don't think it was on Netflix, but I, I, I feel honestly, it was on Netflix in yeah. like, cause I feel like I watched a couple episodes in 2015 or 2016. Yeah. I can't remember what it was on, but that episode was great because, he had Joe Rogan thinking that he was psychic and he kept telling Joe that, no, I'm not psychic. I am tricking you with a trick. And Rogan felt that it was so impressive that it was like a psychic. And he's like, this is what psychics do. They're not psychic. Be it that they're actually thinking they are and they're honest psychics in a way and that they don't realize what they're doing. Right. Or they're complete hucksters like Sylvia Brown. 
Well, I think there's a question of buy-in, right? Like in a lot of these cases, if these are psychic detectives, people want to find an answer. More often than not, I mean, these psychic detectives are brought in by victims' families, not by law enforcement um, because they want to seek answers, right? And they're willing to pay a premium for those answers a lot of the time, which unfortunately is just uh, an industry that is based upon grief. Yeah. And, and when someone is under stress, they're more easily persuaded to do things. Yeah. Um, I, I think back to when I read your mind live on air last year. <laughs> Right, yes. I completely read your mind. You did, and, and, and that was, was a, uh, that. That was kind of impressive, right? Like if if you didn't know that I didn't like learn magic tricks and stuff, and and if you didn't, if I didn't present that as a magic trick, yeah, that could have been that could have seemed yeah, really quite impressive. Yeah, and when you know the secret behind it, which I didn't tell you, but if you knew it, you'd be like, well, that's just dumb. Uh, are, have you been working on anything recently in the, in the realm of, of yeah, illusions? Uh, yeah, around Christmas time, I was tasked on Christmas Eve to do some magic tricks, and I did some this Christmas Eve, one of which was a uh, trick that was done on Fool Us and completely fooled Penn and Teller, and I learned how to do it. And when you know how it's done, again, oh my God, this is dumb, but it's so incredible. So my question is, like, how, do, how does that information get out there? I bought the trick from a magic shop directly from the um, creator of the trick. I see. So, and how he, much did that run you? It was on sale for fifteen dollars. Okay, American. So there's so like, like a whole industry, right, of like people selling definitely, definitely technical uh, uh, yeah. secrets to fool the masses. Yeah, I usually buy my stuff from vanishinginc.com or penguinmagic.com. Great. Two great shops where there's really good stuff. There's a lot of a lot of stuff on these magic sh- uh, shops are uh, lectures that magicians give, and it's really fascinating to me. So they just walk you through um, the concept of the trick, how they came up with it, or how they know about it. Yeah, the one, yeah, the one from Foolis was by a magician named Danny Dertuis. He's from Spain. A lot of the yeah, best, you, you, yeah, you sent that video over. Yeah, a lot of yeah, I sent that. So that's the trick I did on Christmas Eve, and it was it's actually an impressive trick. It is. There's a lot of misdirection going on though, right? It is. He, so that magician does very, he does, he's amazing at sleight of of hand. He hardly uses it during his, his tricks. Most of his stuff is psychological. And when he's, he's got his pattern down, right? And it's clear that he uses his pattern to push his trick. Yes. uh, Over the finish line. (laughs) And when he's doing his stuff in Spanish, it's one way of doing things. When he's doing it in English, he uses his, uh, lack of, Knowledge of English, English, yeah, and, as he, like a, and he point. emphasizes it too because his English is better than he shows on the thing. But uh, he completely destroyed poor uh, Donny Osmond. <laughs> yeah, that was a. Uh, I don't know if I'd bring Donny Osmond onto the the stage for magic, right? Of well, course, yeah. he's a big stable, but like, and if you watch the explanation of the trick by him, Donny Osmond like screwed him over a few times, like, but he says you're supposed to expect that, and it was perfect because. It makes him, by him screwing with your cards and stuff, you put him at ease after by making him feel... Well, I was going to say there's buy-in, right? That's the whole, yeah. like, that's another thing that, like, the honesty needs to buy into what you're doing as an entertainer, right? And uh, it's the same thing with psychics, right? Like, you, like let's talk about well, shift Well, that's not that over. different. Yeah, that's what yeah. I'm saying. Like, that's why we brought yeah. it up. It's not all that different. No. No, I agree. It's just a... Um, instead of, like, a sleight of hand, it's, like, sleight of uh, emotion almost, right? Or, like, creating... Uh, probability or possibility. Like, let's say, like, you know, unfortunately, like, let's say someone has, pa- like, passed and disappeared, right? You can say, you know, they're near a body of water. That's pretty vague. If you're in Montreal, like, we're an island, yeah. right? Like, near a body of water can mean almost anything. I can walk to a body of water within 10 minutes from my house. 
Yeah. And so like, I'm, I'm very curious about the specificity. And once again, like we talked about talent, right? So I'm curious to know at what point are you allowed to describe yourself as a talented psychic or psychic detective? Um, what level of specificity or number of hits do you need? It's the same thing as remote viewing, right? When you consider it. Yeah. Well, it's like how close it, you get to the target, right? It's kind of all the same thing. Education, educated guesses. Yeah. Yeah. And all the X factors, of course, that you can't necessarily control. Um, much like the universe, much like me and me being sick, I couldn't control it, but I'm here. You did a good job, Brian. I'm pretty, I'm pretty proud of you. I'm going to go pass out like right after we're done. <laughs> like I've, I've given you my energy and I am good to go. Well, this is a good place to kind of wrap it up. And, yeah. uh, I, I, I foresaw this that we were going to end at 7 24 PM on <laughs> Sunday, January 20th. Yeah. No, no, down. I didn't write that. No, no, no I didn't write that. So if you're listening to this on the day of release, January 31st, 2024, I have a quick plug for a Substack that I am launching tomorrow with my friend John. Uh, we're called Disturbed Cult. No E in Disturbed in the cult. Instead of a U, it's a V and Angela thought it was a spelling error, but it is not. It's just a cool way of talking about metal. And uh, really, we're just talking about uh, things that we've seen as millennials and how we've helped create the culture we're now stuck in. So the first article is going to be about self-published authors. And so that comes out uh, the first. And then we're going to be doing bi-monthly. And by bi-monthly, I mean twice a month, not once every two months. Very <laughs> confusing as a child. I, I had an argument with the teacher in grade six about that. I could understand and see it both ways. But that's what I mean. So like I, I got an answer, a math answer wrong, even though I technically got it right. Bi-weekly, Brian. Bi-weekly exactly. payments. That's the best way to pay off your mortgage, bi-weekly. Unlike us, we are weekly here on the Double Density Podcast. Tell tell us where people, yes, obviously, um, with some like caveats, but tell us where people can find us. DoubleDensity.net. Yep. Uh, We're uh, actually, if you look at your podcast player, the show art might look just slightly different. And we're we're kind of playing around things. It's not 100%. It might just look the same. Sometimes it takes a while to it to propagate to all the podcast apps. Or we might not change it at all. But I, I ran it through Brian, and he, he kind of liked it. So uh, It's kind of strange. Usually you're a very reactive person when it comes to podcast development. So I was, I was kind of surprised getting the text from you being like, what do you think of this? Yeah, well, because it was very easy to do, first of all. Uh, but uh, And you, you know me, when things are easy to do, I don't mind doing them. Yeah, but sometimes you have to be coaxed into doing the easy thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yes, but I do appreciate the birthday you did on that. I was surprised uh, by the um, the sort of tenacity in which you approached the project. So thank yeah. you for that. Not much of a project. I just kind of like filled the black. You'll see. Anyway, you've, you've seen it already by looking at this podcast episode show art. Yeah. You can also find us over on Instagram, Double Dynasty Podcast. Same thing over on threads, which I'm posting semi-regularly. But if you want to find out more about us, obviously Instagram. I put up a story every couple of days. So I put up, Angela, I sent you that uh, UFO in Brazil book. Yeah. Cover. In the in yeah, so I put that up as a uh, story. Too bad you couldn't buy the uh, the book; it was not in good shape. It was yeah. there was a, yeah, it was it was a you know it's a, a a national chain here Indigo, and the the book was like there was creases all over the places. Someone had already read it and dropped it. Lovely. So I am not willing to spend money um, on bent over books. They could have they could have maybe given you a discount. That's not how they operate, Angelo. No, unfortunately not. <laughs> this has been it for episode 257 of the Double Density Podcast. Also, quickly to note, I know that we're talking about doing Coast to Coast AM. Unfortunately, due to being under the weather, usually Coast to Coast AM episodes take me a couple of hours of editing, and I could not do that. So we're going to do next week, listening to Victor, Area 51. Uh, a true classic. We'll talk about that. Uh, you know, uh, how it's probably just Whitley Strieber in a voice distortion um, <laughs> apparatus. Uh, I do believe. Full body allegedly. Voice, voice distortion apparatus. Yeah, so tune in next week as Angela and I go deeper and deeper into the idea of becoming psychic detectives. He and I are going to buy a pair of trench coats, some magnifying glasses, perhaps a globe, 
you know, the world is our oyster when it comes to um, making money of misery. I foresee that not happening. 